Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Val Cisco, dropping some knowledge about Anchor. Guys, have you ever wanted to record your own podcast? Don't you want millions and millions of people to listen to what you have to say, whether it's about Zeus, whether it's about sports, whether it's about everything that's going on in the world of quarantine? Guys, what are you waiting for? Download Anchor. Anchor basically is a one-stop shop for all your podcast needs. It has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Number two, it's free. Guys, it's free. There's not a lot of freebies out there, so grab this. And of course, Anchor will distribute your podcast so you can be heard from different places like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and many, many, many more. You can make money off your podcast too with minimum listenership. So right there, guys, like, listen, this is a no-brainer. Download Anchor. It's pretty fantastic. I love it. Hell, thank you, Anchor, for giving me the platform to speak about all the random things that I do. Uh, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So please, once again, download Anchor. You can download it off the Apple Play Store, the, the Google Store. I don't know if you guys have Blackberries out there still. Uh whatever is out there download it it's freaking phenomenal you guys won't regret it take care ciao i just have one question when cap needed help if i'd asked you would you have come i guess we'll never know but if you had you'd have never been caught some dumb things and the people I love the most they pay the price thanks to you we had to run we're still running let's go Someone watching your back. Like a partner. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another great edition of Nothing to Watch, always provided by Sideshow Conversations. It's me, Mr. Hank Pym himself, and today we're going to be talking about the latest movie to come out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is the 20th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it is the freshest movie that we've seen so far from this universe. Um, I'm not going to be alone on this podcast, though. I'm actually going to have one of my good friends with me, Jake, who um, is a comic book fanatic who... Um, who loves these movies and really has some questions about this movie coming out, whether it be the end of the end credit scenes or just different little things. So it should be a fun podcast. I hope you guys welcome him in and um, hope you guys enjoy the show. Rock and roll. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to a great edition of Nothing to Watch, provided by Sideshow Conversations. It's me, the host with the most Val, and alongside with me, special guest today from San Antonio all the way to Arizona, my good friend Jacob. How you doing, Jake? Hey, hey, hey. So this is going to be take two. <laughs> we had a couple of technical difficulties happening beforehand, but I think we kind of got it over now. Uh, for people who don't know, um, Jake 
is activist. He's been um, a comic book enthusiast. He's been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as far as um, getting his a toes, dipping his toes into the waters, per se, in comic book uh, lore. And today we're going to be reviewing, giving our thoughts, what we liked, what we didn't like about Ant-Man and the Wasp. So tell me, Jake, your first impressions about Ant-Man and the Wasp going into this. Uh, yeah, so um, I went in with little to no expectation. Um, you know, the trailer uh, did not sell sell me the movie at all. Uh, you know, I had, and I had only you know dived into you know the first Ant Man movie about you know fifteen minutes before I went to go see it. So uh, I had only seen about half of the movie. Um, but um, afterwards, I mean, I left completely satisfied and would even go see it again a second time. I, I loved it. I'm glad to hear that because it's getting a definite great fresh rating when on Rotten Tomatoes. It's one of the freshest movies in the last couple of years when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And um, I think it blew everybody's uh, expectations out the water because of the fact that Ant-Man was maybe so lukewarm when it first came out a couple of years back mm. in 2015 that this kind of led people like, hmm, not too sure if I want to go into it. Maybe the introduction of the Wasp was something or maybe just the curiosity of what happened in Infinity War, where, you know, half the universe is basically eradicated. Where does Ant-Man and the Wasp kind of lie into this universe? And it definitely did answer some questions. Um, before we even get started with the new movie, let's just um, talk about a couple of things right here. How do you feel about Paul Rudd's character as Ant-Man? People are kind of lukewarm with him at first with the uh, dry comedy spots, especially with everybody having their own niche in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Paul Rudd at first was kind of left like Magoo in a way. He was just that guy in the background making funny corny jokes, kind of like dad jokes in a way. <laughs> I think he's a step above the dad jokes, uh, just a tad bit. Um, but I mean, I think I, I, I personally, he's on, you know, uh, through just through the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, he's like on my top five of like my favorite characters um, because he's the average Joe and, and he's easily uh, he can be easily most um, related to, you know, in so many ways. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, he was kind of just thrown into there. And honestly, you know, he's just trying to reinvent himself for his daughter, for his family, you know. Um, and, you know, he does. He, he's not rich. Uh, he's not, you know, from some other world uh, or some other time frame. You know, he's just a guy that was just good at what he did and was just given a second chance. And of course he has that dry humor and, you know, compared to the humor that I've seen in the, in the other uh, movies where sometimes it feels forced or, you know, just like written into just for like, you know, comic appeal. His is just natural. And that's what I love about it. Definitely coming from different movies. Uh, you'll see them in so many movies like uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall or a slew of different movies out there. Role models, name a few. You know, Paul Rudd always Roma. has a comedy niche down to a uh, to a T, but this was a different element, you know, especially with so many big time actors or big time performances, larger than life characters involved in this universe. Ant-Man kind of felt like per se an ant in this universe. So it was refreshing with the first movie to see something different. It was a heist movie mixed with comedy, mixed with um, something a little bit different with um, um, Michael Douglas's character as well, too. 
Um, for people who don't know who Ant-Man wa- was, uh, Michael Douglas, who plays Hank Pym, is the actual Ant-Man that started with the Avengers. Hell, he's the guy that made Ultron. They kind of retconned in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but he's the actual Ant-Man. Scott Lang is the second Ant-Man in the later years. So to see Michael Douglas in this role playing Hank Pym, basically a bitter old man that really couldn't get his way in the scientific community, seeing people like Tony Stark and... Um, all these other people out there, even hell, even Mark Ruffalo's uh, Bruce Banner gets more love than Hank Pym. You know, this disgruntled old man that doesn't get his way was refreshing. And his daughter with Hope, who, even though she's very standoffish in the first film, definitely grew in the second film. It was a bob. I'm telling you, it was a bob. Like, that thing was just atrocious. I still can't get over that. I mean, you couldn't even see her eyebrows. That was just... No, I, I'm sorry. Just as a gay man, I was like, this is just, this is, I couldn't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, you go, yeah, go on. I mean, I mean, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Well, let's get into it. Um, we won't go too, oh, this is going to be a spoiler podcast. So if you haven't seen the movie, you know, stop the podcast, go watch the movie, have fun with it, come back and listen to us. But we're going to get into a couple of spoilers. Let's talk about the positives. Um, tell me your top positive feelings about Ant-Man and the Wasp? Um, it is just such a very well-developed, just a beautifully crafted movie. Um, everything about it is just so original that makes it stand out, you know, from, from, from the other, uh, you know, uh, Marvel Cinematic movies. Um, you know, being completely honest, comparing it to uh, Captain America, uh, <laughs> James from work, like, with, like, uh, he... he, he, he <laughs> I just picture him doing the hand in the face kind of thing. Yeah. But like I fell asleep on Winter Soldier twice. It took wow. me a while to finally be able to watch the movie from beginning to end. It just, it just, you know, to me it was just another, you know, superhero movie. This guy's got, you know, powers. You know, he can flip a car. You know, there's explosions. But I mean, this movie, come on. I mean, there's, there's, there's a Pez dispenser just flying out of a car. Um, it's just so random. And uh, uh, honestly, the theater that I saw that was probably the most bland thing. I'm pretty sure I was the loudest one in there. I mean, these people had no fucking humor. So, excuse me, I'm sorry, I don't know if we can do that. But And yeah, I definitely do agree with you. Um, and my audience, it was kind of a bland audience too, because I don't think they got the humor. But continue, your your thoughts. Uh, the, the comedy was on right. What else? Uh, the comedy, the right details. Um, the... Uh, you get the part with, uh, you know, this, the, the, the quantum, um, the quantum realm, Yep. you know, that, that is, like I said, I, I was so blown away by that. It's just, it's just all that together just made a, a beautiful original. And I think that's what stands out for me at the most. It's just, it's very original. I think so too. I think we got to pay off from the first batch of characters from the first movie and how most of them have grown from the first movie, we see Scott's characters definitely grow. We see him on house arrest from the events of Civil War and basically, you know, being captured from that fight with Captain America. And now, basically, if he uh, just to get out of of the law's way, he now has to stay in his house the whole entire time and just keep himself occupied. But you get to see him be a dad still, which is awesome. You get to see him be a, a, a dad. You get to see, you know, his, his um, her mother and, um, of course, the officer, the stepfather, if you will, Mr. Dadbot over there, Mr. Italiano, you know, giving the big family hug. So that was, you know, that uncomfortable, cringy family that they have, dynamic they have there. That was fun to see. And it's and realistic. It's really it was. Realistic. 
And then, of course, in um, this day's um, society as well, too, having, you know, a broken family in a way kind of coexists is pretty refreshing instead of the whole disgruntled divorce family that doesn't want to see each other. We got in the first movie. This was very refreshing. Um, another refreshing part, too, was the villain. I loved Ghost and her character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, honestly, you I mean, she, she uh, it, it took me it took me a little bit you know, to kind of figure her out. But, um, you know, honestly, I mean, she, she had her own, um, she had her own mission, her own goal. And that's because, you know, she was just trying to live, you know? Um, and it was just, and she was beautiful uh, in everything. Um, the, the, the visuals of her were just fantastic. Uh, I, I was, uh, I, that's no one that I've seen from the comic. So, um, you know, like it, if, if that's a familiar thing, like, I, I want to see how people react to her. Um, but I, I thought it was just awesomely done. One of my favorite parts that I'm liking, and this is straight from Disney, of course, you know, Marvel Studios, but Disney is, you know, spend the bucks to create these films. And what Disney's doing with their de-aging process, with their facial de-aging process, it really is something to be uh, admired. I mean, de-aging Michael Douglas to basically 1982. Oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> and de-aging Michelle Pfeiffer's character, even though she was very, I don't want to say minuscule, because she left a lasting impression, but her part wasn't the most important part throughout the movie. It was maybe finding her that was important, but her character herself mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of meat to her. But even her, you know, her de-aging and, you know, playing with hope, you know, back in the 80s was just awesome as well, too, to see that. Yeah, that was, that was, just, that was just beautiful. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I, I was actually, uh, <laughs> I had to keep thinking about, like, every time I saw, like, um, old Hank, I would, I would just keep thinking back to like, like, I don't know, it was just hard to see Michael Douglas like that. Like, I was, I, I just kept like refreshing back to like the very beginning of the first Ant-Man, you know, just like, like, see, that's what I'm used to. And I, I see this and it's like, it's like if the Colonel gave up frying chicken and he became a professor. <laughs> you know? like, that's, that's exactly what I saw. But it was just, just very well done. Yeah. So I know you were raving about the character of Hope and how she's a different dimension from the first film to the second film. Tell me what you enjoyed about her in this film. Um, I think it, it, it was the fact that she found her place or, you know, the fact that she had a place in here, you know, um, it, it, it kind of resonated from, you know, what she was feeling as a character to the audience. And, and she portrayed that very well. You know, because that was one of the reasons why, you know, uh, she was very standoffish in the first movie is because she didn't really have a big role to play when she wanted to. But then, you know, we found out and she found out for obvious reasons, you know, because her dad was just trying to protect her. But now that, you know, they've established that trust, you know, she's grown up, she she uh, wants to prove herself. Um, and so, like, she also makes her a very good, iconic female role model, uh, especially in the cinematic universe. Definitely. Uh, I, I, I don't I, I don't think that she is a second character in this whatsoever. If anything, this was more of the Wasp movie than it was the Ant-Man movie because she definitely did stand out in every part that she was in. Uh, her power control with the suit is amazing, especially with the Wasp dynamic, with the, with the phases that she has, with controlling the shrinking and, and coming back to form as well, too. You know, it's very crisp as well, too. Her fighting was great. Hell, she looked like she was going parkour on everybody. 
she really was <laughs> that stop shaker, man. I mean, that was just <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and I think that was the whole point. Um, you know, uh, directing that scene, like you can tell, they had a goal in mind. It was like, you know, okay, this is this is time for her to you know show what she's got. You know, because not only were uh, her dad and um, Scott, you know, hanging off on the side watching, I mean, the audience was watching too, because, you know, now that we learn, like, holy shit, you know, she's lost. Let's see where that goes. You know, let's see, let's, let's see what she's got. And, you know, that whole first fight scene with her was just very, very, very well orchestrated. We had a couple of people in this movie as well, too. You know, Ghost was one of the big bads. But we also had Walter Goggins, um, who was playing this thug kind of character, this mafioso boss, who was kind of like a sub-boss in a way, more of an annoying pest throughout the whole movie. But, you know, trying to uh, get Hank Pym's um, laboratory so he could sell it to a higher bidder. But I think he was a refreshing sub-boss as well, too. Every time he did pop up, something funny did happen, something crazy did happen um the chasing I, that they I had never like his character uh, like in any movie he plays he's always such a douche like the douchiest, <laughs> the douchiest on anything that he's in he's always the biggest douche so like as soon as i saw him i literally just like yelled in the air i was like ew I, I, I didn't mind him that much because i felt like he had a niche in this movie i felt like he had a place like it was something yes. to do when you couldn't get to ghosts he would just pop up and be like hey I'm not done with you yet, and they just beat up on him. It's like, oh, this guy still. Like, how are you still around? <laughs> exactly. Um, the troops are in part. How did you feel about that and the side characters with T.I. and the rest, Michael Pena? Yeah, that's what I was going to get to next. Um, uh, what I like, too, is I think they even found their place here in this movie. You know, um, the ex-con trio. Yes. Uh, you know, like... <clears throat> In, in, in the first movie, I think I think I think it was uh, it was just kind of like I think it was more like a like a play around with these side characters and see how they do um, and how they even continued like how uh, what's his name tells the stories where it's like so detailed yes you know like I love how they carried that on to the next film too you know like you know that's part of his thing and that's part of his character so when you see him talk you almost kind of expect it. And then it's hilarious too. It's kind of like um, Nazi moron, if you will, because these guys are ex-cons who who have a history of doing heists and sneaking into buildings, going past security cameras, and now they're in the business of making their own security uh, installation service. So I'm like, oh well, who better to make security cameras and security and modulators than people who break into them? Exactly. Yeah, that's that. that I don't tell you, it's it's just a smart smart movie. Um, you know, uh, trying to think about it because it's still like trying to keep it as fresh as I can. Uh, but uh, you know, it, uh, also like other other little details, like uh, where he's trying to get to the to the ferry, and he's trying to hop onto like the different ants, and they're just like being swallowed up by all the seagulls. Yes, like, that's brilliant. That was very brilliant because, you know, like I said, it's re- it's keeping that realism there. Because um, I think one of the things that kind of had me question my head from the first movie was just seeing the giant ants. It, it, it kind of had me reminisce of uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes. I was like, oh, is this, is this where this ant has been this whole time? You know, <laughs> he's coming back. Uh, he's coming back on the big screen in, in, in Ant-Man. Um, it, it just made it a little bit weird. You know what I mean? Because I know, like, of course, it's, it's Marvel, you know, so it's not very realistic. But just to see 
ants, giant ants, you know, kind of just working around. It was still a little bit odd, but I think I think they kind of found their place here in the second movie. So it, it wasn't as like like randomly there, you know. Right. Um, a- yeah. Another one of my favorite parts is Paul Rudd's. I guess puns for the ants, his nicknames. Um, my favorite one was Antonio Banderas. Oh my god, I think I almost pissed myself when I saw that shit. Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. I was gonna die with him with these nicknames. And a very refreshing part to me, who's made a crossover, if you will. Um, one of the few people that have been in shared universes, this guy has been in the DC universe, especially in about, I believe, two to three movies so far, about three movies so far within the DC universe. Lawrence Fishburne, um, going from all the DC movies, playing Perry in the Daily Planet, to now being Goliath in um, Ant-Man Was. I think that was very f- refreshing. His character was very genuine. It was, and honestly, uh, that 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 was what made another kind of kept the movie going. Was that I, I didn't really expect a lot of things. Like I kind of had ideas as it was going on, but when I saw him walk in on that one thing, I was like, "Whoa, whoa! Like why didn't I see this? Like it, it was like totally in your face, but like you didn't see it." Um, but yeah, no, like he, I, I think he's able to adapt to whatever role that he takes on, whether whether it be DC and Marvel, and he takes that character uh, and he takes it to heart. You know, um, I mean, he's just an amazing actor overall. Uh, but to see him to be able to like kind of switch off like that, um, uh, and 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 like even though like you never see him as Goliath, you know, like the way he kind of gives off that vibe and his storytelling, it kind of like makes you almost believe that you're 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 used to him being uh, Goliath. You know what I mean? Yeah. It made me want it though. It made me want to see at least one time, and maybe they could push that for another movie if they really tried to. Wasn't sure if they probably would. You know, I'm okay with him being like the you know, um, kind of like the Hank Pym um, colleague. You know, these both men were superheroes back in the day, and they've done these extraordinary things back in the time. But now, you know, they're kind of past their prime. They know not to go as far as they should, and they have their predecessors. Um, I would love to see a predecessor to Goliath. But if I had that choice, I'd probably see Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Fishburne put the Goliath suit on and just grow, you know, 20 feet tall. I think I would geek out just a tad bit. I was the only one that, in that theater that laughed about the size joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I knew where they were going with that, like the moment they started talking about that. I was the only one that laughed and <laughs> I was like, you uncultured swine. I was a little <laughs> upset when we were getting kind of like that heel turn where he was almost going to be almost the, like the bad of the movie. It was killing me a little bit. I, I was understanding. Maybe I kind of wanted someone to be the equal to Hank Pym almost. So I was trying to get over that hump. But I did like that he had great intentions, especially for Ghost and her character, and wanted to help, you know, basically exist, you know, forgiving her for every past mistake that she has done. Because essentially, he he was there throughout the whole ride. You know, Ghost's character, you see her as an experiment uh, with uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. And, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. being this, you know, high and mighty, you know, highbrow organization that's supposed to save people, we see little things in S.H.I.E.L.D. of what they've done in the past that are very... Uh, maniacal in a way, you know, this little girl who has this, this, um, I wouldn't say a power, it's more of a condition where her body's getting ripped apart every second. 
uh, and they're using that to their benefit as an assassin, you know, so I could see uh, th- those two people coming together and, make, you know, helping each other out, forgiving past mistakes and going forward. I like that dynamic. You know, but when you really think about it, I mean, his character isn't so different from, from Hanks. I mean, they're just both bitter old men. Um, you know, they, they, they're trying to make their name out in the scientific community, especially, you know, at the time that they were around was where, like, Tony Stark was like, you know, uh, Tony Stark Sr., you know. Right. His, his name was, you know, out there. And so, you know, they're all each trying to, you know, contribute and, and come up with the next, next best thing. So, I mean, again, you know, his, his, his story isn't really too different from Hank's. You know, they have the same goal in mind. I mean, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to achieve greatness, you know. Now, I'll tell you a couple of things where I didn't like about the movie. I'll kind of go first on this part here. Um, I didn't care too much for Michelle Pfeiffer's character. I think it, it, it could, for the expectation to rescue her out of the quantum realm, it didn't hit me as hard as it should have. And I felt like even when she came out and she was rescued, it still didn't make me feel like, wow, we have this extra player in this universe now to use, utilize. I felt like she was just there just to be there almost. And such a character like Michelle Pfeiffer, who's an extraordinary actor in her own right, to kind of be subjected to just like not even a B-roll, but almost a C-roll in this movie, it, it, it kind of threw me off track. Um, no, you're actually, you're actually right. And I have to agree with you there because um, that even had crossed my mind. Like when they rescued her, I mean, yeah, I was happy. But like at the same time, I was just kind of like, eh. You know, I wasn't fulfilled. And, you know, how she just, like, casually walks up to ghosts is just like, oh, yeah, here you go. You know? Mm-hmm. I was like, really? <laughs> like, Here's a power that I just discovered. Let me see if this works. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it was, like, unintentional the first time. I was just like, oh, my God, my husband's here. You know? It's like, oh. Exactly. <laughs> so that happened. But, yeah, no, you're completely right. Um what I didn't like about the movie, I mean, uh, really, there, there's, yeah, um, the, there are some scenes that kind of just like jump too quickly for me. Okay, you like know? which ones? Um, like the ferry, everything happened in the ferry, and and like outside in the town, like a lot of the things kind of like too quickly. So, and it's just like, it was like, trying to rush to end. But I, you know, I know that the, like, that part of the movie had like a lot of energy too. So it was like, go, go, go. But when like, scenes just like, kind of just jump and jump and jump, you know, and, and instead of like, a little slow down in between, like, kind of like a transition, or it's just like, no transition. It's just like, all right, on to the next thing. Um, that kind of like, it, it kind of throws me off a bit. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, and, and that, that tells me, like, there may have been a lot more recorded and that there was a lot more that was possibly taken out for the movie. And, you know, we're left with that, you know. I can see that. Another part that really kind of got me, um, and maybe this is, you'll disagree on this, on this part here, and that's okay. But I felt like there was kind of some forced parts. I didn't like too much. I understand the plot of it, but. I didn't care too much of the prototype outfit that he's wearing that's malfunctioning here and there. And we got like the um, 
the mini <laughs> the mini pole run. I didn't care too much about it. I was like the only one not really laughing that much about it because I've seen it already. I saw it in Deadpool. Um, yeah, uh, and that's possibly another reason why like that was a part that they showed on the trailer. Um, and that's that's where I think a lot of movies go wrong is where they show too much on the trailer and where uh, they throw the best jokes out onto the trailer. So by the time that you get to the movie, it's like, That, yeah, I could see that, you know, that was just, like, to keep the story going. I mean, because, you know, with the whole trophy and, like, I mentioned it, and, like, there was no other, like, there was, there was no obstacle other than, you know, him being short and just trying to get the trophy and get out. Exactly. You know, I mean, I... Like, finish. When he grew, I understood that part. He couldn't get himself back to, you know, regular size, so he's passing out. And I did like that part, especially with Hope, you know, diving into the water and you know going into into the actual um uh into the machine and correcting it for him and then we definitely see them cement their love finally you know that will they won't they throughout the whole movie so that was good to see but some parts that felt a little forced with comedy um just like the little the miniature scenes um and maybe last but not least as far as the parts i didn't like um i i felt like the ending was a little blah I felt like there wasn't like closure or not closure, but I felt like the ending didn't justify the means of what we were searching for in this movie. Oh, you're completely right. You are completely right. And I think the, um, and partly maybe a reason for that is because, you know, the after, yeah, the after scene movie, uh, the after scene thing. Cause I think, cause for most who are like into the Marvel story right now, especially right now, I think that's what everybody was expecting. You know, for those who don't really keep up with it and it's just like just watching another movie come out, then yeah, you know, they're going to feel more left with that's it. You know, like, like, like really? Um, yeah, you're completely right. Because I think like the only closure you got was for uh, the three, the trio, the ex-cons, because they finally got their business running. Yeah, um, yeah you're right about that. Um, oh, and of course, you know, um, Hank and his wife, you know, they get to, you know, their little miniature house. Oh, on the beach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, you're right. It was, it was, it was literally like open shut, like, okay, you know, here we go. Um, and it didn't even leave anything open for like the next round, only for that extra cut that you got at the end. Well, Let's um. You mentioned that end credit scene. Let's talk about that end credit scene right here. We definitely see, um, where we're hearing that you know Ghost and her character is still suffering from, um, kind of being put together again. And but she's having some, I guess, hiccups in that process. So what they need Hank, not Hank, sorry, uh, Scott to do is go back into the quantum well of realm and pick up some particles from that realm to heal Ghost essentially. Um, and everybody's on board for, you know, Janet, um, Hope, Hank, they're like, you know, you can do this, Scott, don't worry about it, just go in there and come back out, call the day. We see Scott go in, goes all the way in, gets the particles into the jar and signaling to come back out, and we get basically essentially the snap, the snap heard around the universe where everybody has just disappeared. And Scott's the only one left essentially alive, if you will, in this universe from what we're seeing here now. Um, and it, it's crazy, too, because um, he's lost in this, in this universe. So maybe that explains why 
um, he hasn't been around for the rest of the that Avengers episode or what happened in Infinity War. Maybe that kind of explains why he's stuck, kind of, in a way. But, um, yeah, um, he's stuck in that realm. See, that's my question, um, because the whole time I was trying to figure out the timeline of the movie, um, you know, because like I said, when I went in to watch Ant-Man and the Wasp, I had only seen the first half of the first movie. So I kind of had to just had to just go along with it. So as soon as I came home, first thing I did was watch the rest of that movie. So the reason why he was even locked up, you know, on house arrest, that was because of the incident that happened in Civil War, right? Yes. And that's why they hated him because he took the suit and he basically just went off with Cat and, and you know, did his thing. Mm-hmm. So, so the timeline takes place after Civil War, but right before, because what was the timeline from the end credit to uh, the end of... of uh, so, looking at that, we, I remember in Infinity War, we're getting, you know, basically the planet kind of being terraformed for Thanos to come down. So we're getting those giant machines come down New York City and a couple other big states and countries. So you're getting that mass chaos from that machinery, and it's all over the news. So we didn't see any indication of that in this movie. Of course, they're in San Francisco, but we didn't get any indication of any kind of invasion. So it was a little weird out. The only way I can probably forgive this a bit because it kind of seems a little weird. It's not a deal breaker, but the only way I can say is maybe we just don't know how to judge the time frame in the quantum realm. Maybe we don't know how to judge how long Scott was down there before he acts to be called up or gathering all that information or all the other particles as well, too. Maybe he was in there for a day or so or two days and all this stuff was happening. Thanos came in and essentially that snap happened. We don't know, but it kind of was a cheap way out almost. Is that the only thing that saved him, do you think? Um, being in the quantum realm, I can say that because maybe since this is a different realm, sir, uh, it, it's hard to um, to really really judge that because it's half the universe, so you really don't know who was taken, who was spared, and why, or what, why not. It was very just impartial. And... Except for those few that you know that he intentionally left alive. I, I say that as well, too. And then um, it, it's, it's very touch and go when it comes to this because maybe it has something to do with the dimension he's in and only few can get into that dimension. Uh, one of the few that can actually visit that dimension um, back and forth is Doctor Strange. But we did see Doctor Strange get essentially evaporated as well too in Infinity War. So... How do you think uh, Scott's going to get out of this? Um, so by what I've been reading, doing my own little research, um, uh, Captain Marvel is supposed to have a huge part in that. Am, am I wrong? Um, you know, see, I can see Captain Marvel having a huge part taking on Thanos as a cosmic character, but from going into the next realm and rescuing Scott, I don't know, because I don't think she has that ability to go into the quantum realm, but but it's 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 a role that she's played by by a very a very thorough uh, fan uh, theory that I did read was you know it was going to be basically what Captain uh, Marvel and um, Ant Man do because of their both of their abilities so what they're what they're able to do is kind of combine that um, 
to kind of reverse everything that Thanos did. I mean, because, you know, like you said, um, he could probably figure out how to play with time while in the quantum realm, you know, because that's essentially what he's doing, right? Well, um, kind of, in a way. He is stuck in that realm. Remember, he has gotten out of that realm as well, too. Um, in the first movie, he travels through the quantum realm, gets lost in it, and hears the sound of his daughter, and essentially grows again to get out of that realm. But it's so hard for you to kind of think in that. As we saw Michael Douglas, he couldn't even survive down there himself. So, yeah, but let me look at look at look at um, how he was able to see, you know, memories, uh, you know, because of his wife, you know. But you know, kind of try to put that into into perspective like I mean yeah she was just trying to use him as an antenna so she was sending him a message okay but, I see where you're well, going yeah think about what else he'll be able to see while in there you know what I mean uh, it's it's I mean, in that realm honestly there what impossibilities can there be well there's another possibility out there I don't think they would go to- uh, toward it uh, this is just me spitballing here um, you did see the whole Doctor Strange movie correct I have not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there is a character named Baron Mordo who is uh, essentially Doctor Strange's uh, right-hand, right-hand man, best friend, who does study sorcery as well, too. And toward the tail end of that movie, they kind of go their separate ways going through different ideologies of magic. I can mm. definitely see that character maybe coming back somehow traveling through the quantum realm, a realm just like Doctor Strange does, but he would need a reason to, and I don't see him having a reason to fight alongside anybody at the moment in time. So it's um, I, I can see where you're going with Captain Marvel if he's using uh, himself as an antenna to get to her. We did see that that quantum machine laying there, even though everybody else disappeared. That machine is still there. Um, so maybe she can get to it and bring him back. That, or you know, like I said, you know, there's there's still ghosts. That's there. I mean, now that she, you know, she has no other reason to um, play that villainous character because uh, we don't know really what happened with her. And, you know, the fact that she's still kind of like, you know, feeling the symptoms of, of, you know, how she was affected. You know, maybe she was actually spared from Thanos because she's still technically not human. Or, you know, she was, uh, maybe she was like phasing in and out, you know, at that time. So whatever Thanos did at the, you know, with a snap had no effect on her. Possibly. So let's, uh, you know, let's talk, about, let's talk about that final end credit scene. I know it's very throwaway with the ant playing the drums. It's kind of funny, but I did like the eeriness of how, you know, we're having like the, the, the emergency distress, the evacuation signal on every TV. That was great. It was. No, 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 it totally was. And I think that was the, I think that was the main point of that. I think the ant was just added there just for, you know, um, just for, you know, uh, shits and giggles. Um, But I think that part, like you said, just that little detail was the ultimate um, detail in that that end credit scene because, you're right. That's what it is. Like it kind of solidified the idea that, you know, the timeline. You know that that was it. Like that was Thanos snapping his fingers. And so, like, I guess with everything going on, you know, uh, that that what was left. You know, can we talk about a couple of fan theories for um, uh, the next um, Avengers movie? Um, one thing that I've been wanting to see since since Infinity War finished, and I felt it would have been important, in my opinion, for that movie to end off in, 
since we didn't see Hawkeye in that movie whatsoever, how epic would it have been for the final end credit scene to see him in that cabin with his wife and child, and he's just having dinner with them, and they just evaporate right in front of him? That would have been epic. Uh, that would just would have been like the the like the biggest major um, inspiration for you to get off your ass, right? <laughs> right. Like it would just. And then in the comics, he does play a different character besides Hawkeye. He does play this character called Ronin, who's essentially you know a ma- you know in Japanese culture, Ronin's a samurai without a master, a rogue samurai in a way. He does dress up in an all black kind of suit. And for what I'm seeing, there's kind of some set pictures I've seen Hawkeye in that char- character costume. Maybe we'll see what happens. But, you know, I, I feel like a-, a-, a scene like that, whether they open up the next Avenger movie with that scene or just somewhere down the line, I think something like that could be very impactful with this whole snap of the finger nonsense. Yeah. Do you- so do you think that the people, the heroes who were left out of uh, Infinity Wars, do you think that was off? No, I think it was very. Um, it was. It, it was. It wasn't uh, malicious. I think it was something that he just did at the whim, like half of everything gone. It was very. Uh, it just you know Thanos thrives on anarchy uh, and chaos, so I don't think he planned to, for who stays and who goes. It's more of like whatever happens. The writers for you know the movie, the the writing of the movie itself. You think the hero that they left out of the movie, you think that was off for a reason? Yeah, I could see it. Um, at first, um, I was a little disgruntled about it because they had an opportunity, in my opinion, to kind of write off, you know, a Tony Stark and a, a, and a, a Captain America, Steve Rogers, and have the old guard get basically, you know, killed and have per se, the new Avengers, you know, a Doctor Strange, a Spider-Man, and uh, a Black Panther take the helm as the new Avengers, just like the comic book is. And they're the ones to either rescue or avenge, of course, um, the older guard. So I would have preferred that, but if we're getting, you know, Tony Stark and a couple other ragtag heroes trying to either get these characters back on the final stand, and maybe that's their exit, if we see, you know, a Steve Rogers and Tony Stark finally working together because we didn't get that in the last movie they're finally working together again and essentially die at the hands of thanos but to stop his chaos that's a good send-off for both characters yeah that, that very much would be and uh honestly that's i think i'm like uh, i'm expecting an even bigger death from the next avengers movie because uh, uh I mean, yeah, you can say everybody died, but I think like the ones who like major like were gone or out uh, would have to be Vision. Um, of course, Vision. I mean, he pretty much had like a whole chunk of them just like pulled out. Yeah, that was, that was just bad. Uh, Gamora, uh, Gamora's gone, and uh, who else? Like legit died. You know, I can see Gamora being gone. You know, and that only goes by i know that she's gonna be wrapped up in the avatar movies you know those movies are about uh, um was it um the sequels two three and four are all being shot together so she's gonna be wrapped up in those movies for the next like six years so i could definitely see her character written off right there um vision i don't know i think i could see vision come back well because because he's not because he's not human because like he has that capability too 
Um, well, he is sentient and he can think for himself. I don't think it was the stone that that made him whole. I think the stone just gave him extra, uh, a little bit more of an extra boost. But for as far as power goes, but I believe just the process of 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 what Ultron could have been, just like a mm-hmm. uh, that's basically the perfect Ultron right there. And I could see him reforming again as something different one more time. I mean, especially if they're going to play off the character of Scarlet Witch in the comic books, they are a couple. They are a very toxic couple. Very toxic mm-hmm. couple. And I would love to see where they go with that. They do continue this. But I definitely could see Vision come back. I could see all those characters essentially coming back. If anything, I see this is um, Steve Rogers' last hurrah. I definitely see this as Tony's last hurrah. And you know what? I wouldn't mind if this is Rhodey's la- um, Rhodey, uh, War Machine's last hurrah, too, because um, he's kind of been useless. <laughs> no shit, right? Um, would you, would, going back to uh, Vision, uh, you know, his relationship with uh, uh, Scarlet Witch, would you, you said it's very dark, t- toxic, right? Yes. Would you compare it similar to how uh, Gambit and Rogue's relationship was? Even more toxic, um, because at least with Gambit and Rogue, there was, um, they had, no, they were more lust. I I think that it was more the passion fruit, you know, Um, you can't touch that fruit because it's forbidden, but the passion is there. I don't think there was pure love in that relationship. With this right here, the idea of love is in between both of them. With someone who's been abused their whole entire life, feeling no love, and then someone who's discovering love for the first time, discovering emotion for the first time, they're brought together by that necessity. Um, The thing about it is what's toxic is that, number one, vision is not real. Vision is still uh, an AI, essentially. A very intelligent AI, the perfect AI, if you will, but essentially he's still a robot he cannot he can only go so far whereas scarlet witch as well too she has wants and needs and in the comic books you know for spoiler alert for people who have not fucking read this comic in like what 20 30 years you know she goes to the point where she can't control her powers whatsoever but the times she can she creates a whole different reality where they have kids and she implants the idea of having two kids in his brain or his AI, and they go on years thinking that they have these two children growing up raising as parents. So it's so toxic that she has to lie to him on a daily basis to hold that relationship together. Wow. That's intense. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, you know, Scarlet Witch is a very um, uh, shades of gray character, but when she does go off, she does go off. I mean, hell, she is the reason why um, 90, well, I want to say 75% of the mutant population was eradicated because she had a, uh, a PMS attack. You know, she, she can alter reality in ways where it scares even a person like a Thanos. So um, she can arguably be the most powerful person in the MCU right now if they wanted to. If they really wanted to make her that person, they can make her the end-all be-all. That, yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. That would be intense, but I mean, <laughs> would you really want to, you know, I guess, it was, I guess it's kind of like the same way, like, you know, how powerful do you want to make, uh, uh, you know, Jean Grey, Phoenix, you know, um, that was something that was played around with, not very well, you know, with the X-Men movies, but I mean, you know, she was, you know, would you consider her the most powerful X-Men? Mm, 
It all depends. I think um, she can be the most powerful X-Men, but we've never seen Jean Grey literally unleash all her power as a psychic. We've seen her as, you know, the Dark Phoenix and Phoenix, but that's essentially like a symbiotic relationship. That's like another entity invading her body and giving her more powers and more abilities, but not necessarily using her psychic abilities. If we saw a straight up Jean Grey just straight psychic and being an Omega mutant the way she's supposed to be, she could be a force, definitely. But you have other people out there like Magneto, who is an Omega level mutant that can actually, we've seen in different comic books, he can actually bend the Earth's metal and make it so where there's earthquakes and the metals inside, you know, continents can just dis- disembowel and fall apart. And essentially cause like an epidemic on every continent in the in, in the world. Like he's that powerful, and we've seen that in certain comics. So there, it, for mutants, it's very touch and go on the on whether or not who's the most powerful. Cyclops is an Omega mutant for some reason. I love Cyclops, but you know that optic. Right. So yeah, <laughs> I see that. Uh, but I mean, that's I mean, uh, Scarlet mean, she is a mutant, right? Um. So Scarlet Witch. So that's hard to say as well, too, because she's been retconned so many times. You know, uh, in the comic books, we've seen that she is the actual daughter of Magneto. And, you know, if you look at that and Magneto being Omega-level mutant and this girl being Omega-level mutant, she should be the most powerful mutant ever. But these days, in the last 10 years, her, her character has been retconned to be not Magneto's daughter. She's an inhuman and definitely in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are no mutants. You know, they typically can't use that term. So she's just a person with gifted abilities. Mm, that's right. That's right. I forgot all about that thing. Damn, damn <laughs> studios. <laughs> well, um, uh, I, I think uh, what I think ultimately Ant Man and Wasp did was just kind of keep everybody on their toes for the next Avengers movie coming out. Um, you know, because again, it, it, I think uh, I think you know keeping them out of uh, out of the Last Avengers movie, you know, kind of I guess I, I guess it kind of like I don't know, it's kind of hard to say, um, you know, because his cameo in Civil War was kind of cool, you know, um, very random though. Uh, but I think I think kind of breathing life into his character again with this movie. Definitely. Well, I think we both agree that we um, both give us like a big top. We both love this movie. It's a great movie for anybody to see. It's one of the freshest movies out there. Um, as we wrap this up over here, do you have any last thoughts about Ant-Man that you want to tell everybody? Um, if you would see it, I would definitely say see it with the Adobe Digital uh, surround sound audio um, in the theater. I, I has one. Uh, I know I've seen uh, W Digital and AMC when I saw Logan, and just that extra boost of surround sound just makes the experience like amazing. So I think you know, kind of adding that in with Ant Man would, would make it an even better experience. Uh, cause it's just it's just, it's, uh, it's just a good movie. 
with so much detail. So, you know, adding more to it will probably make the experience like great. Um, I'm I'm glad I'm glad I saw this movie. <laughs> I really am. Uh, I, there's really not much other to say than just go see it. Fantastic. Is there anything that you want to tell the people that you're coming up with in the next couple of months that they should stay um, tuned for as far as you creatively? Yeah, well, um, so I just released um, an article that I was like very, very, very proud of. It was something that's very, that I'm very passionate about and kind of still want to keep that going around. Um, it is called, uh, it's called Cocktail um, Rainbows and Riffs on the Rocks. Uh, it is exploring the gap between metal music and the gay community. Um, and so, like, I kind of dive into, you know, these two cultures that are very, very, very similar in so many ways. Yet, you know, they're just kind of just pushed apart, um, mainly from the gay side of things. Um, you know, uh, the gay community, especially gay men, are not very the metal music and just the metal scene, you know, there's a whole lot of preconceived notions about it. So, you know, my whole goal is to kind of like eradicate that and kind of bridge the gap because, you know, they're, they're just, I think they're two very targeted cultures, two very targeted communities by, you know, outsiders and the status quo. Um, and to kind of see the creativity of both kind of mesh together uh, would make for like one amazing experience, you know, for a lot of people. So, uh, if you uh, uh, definitely go onto my website, uh, you can pull that from my Facebook, uh, my Instagram, and I have a personal website for it. Uh, definitely give that a read and you know, leave your thoughts and share it with your friends. Definitely, definitely. What is that website? Um, so, you can find me on Instagram. Because uh, I don't know the. Uh, hold on, let me pull that up right now. Hold on. While you're looking for that, I just want to let everybody know as well, too, that I definitely want to have Jacob back on the show again, maybe just have a more in-depth look at that article as well, too. Uh, I'm very interested when it comes to, you know, when it, when it comes to any kind of music genre and what you're going through in your, in your own mind as well, too. Hell, some people are very insecure of, of, of being out and coming out, especially in a, in a genre like metal and the dichotomy in that situation is very fascinating. So I would love to have you back on the show and talk about that. Yeah, because, um, you know, one thing that I learned from that is, is you know, uh, female icon artists that are making their way, you know, and, and really breaking through, you know, that masculine uh, reach that, you know, that has been uh, dominated in the metal industry. So I learned some about that, so that's definitely something that I'm going to, you know, tackle next. On my website, uh, you can go to jagutz91.wixsite.com. Uh, that's where you can view all that information there. Um, I have two articles, one about gay dating and one about, uh, you know, this one about uh, being gay in metal. Um, and just leave me your thoughts. And, you know, uh, can't wait to publish more stuff and, you know, even talk about this one. That'd be great. Awesome, awesome. And then, of course, if you know me, you can reach me at uncanny underscore V on Twitter. Um, also on Instagram at Val Cisco, if you want to discuss at Manda Wass as well, too, you can go on the Sideshow Conversation page on Facebook as well, too. Um, Sideshow Conversations, it's on Anchor, um, it's on iTunes and Podcast Republic. Please give a rate, review, and just subscribe. It's not that hard. Anyway, guys, it's been a pleasure, Jake, for having you on the show. I think we had a great time with this. I can't wait to the next one. Yeah, looking forward to it. Love your fans. Love the show. Good. Good to be back on. Thanks, brother. Until the next one, man. Always. Latest.